Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Lucas Vlahos and <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Ken Lavin and uh, and Mr. Loser, along with myself, Thomas Anderson. Ouch. Yes. So um, harsh. Unless, Dude. unless Look, you're not a loser I'm, I'm, anymore, Thomas. No, I... The, the only non-loser thing, well, I guess this is a loser thing, but I'm almost done with Final Fantasy VII Remake again, so. Nice. All right, that's that an So, so yeah, the most accomplished <laughs> of the three of us. <laughs> Thomas, I was... I just I have was, the last chapter left. I, I was uh, playing a game that I believe is among your favorites in Disco Elysium, and yes. was finding it a bit slow, honestly, and I've just hit a point where I'm suddenly, like, completely invested yeah, it's one of those things because there's like no combat or anything. You just kind of talk, I guess. I don't know how to describe yeah. it. But yeah. it, it took me a while to get in because I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, okay. And then once you, like you said, once you get to a point, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, I get what I'm trying to do here. Uh, I feel like I'm cracking the main case open and now I'm seeing some. Yeah. yeah. I, I was kind of like pushing myself through because I know everyone says this game is incredible. I'm like, yeah, okay, I should experience this. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. And then Amazon is making a TV series about it, which is hilarious. I have zero interest. Of all, of all the people <laughs> to make a game, uh, to make a TV series about that, it's Amazon. Well, this seems like a terrible game to make into it. Yeah, it's going to be boring. Yeah, not great. But yes, just go reading rules. Mm. All right. Um, so we'll start off this week by... Uh, promote extend trade <clears throat> and on this date this is actually a kind of interesting one i think on this date january 22nd in 1857 the national association of baseball players held a convention and it was basically the very first winter meetings and they established a committee to make revisions to the original knickerbocker rules of baseball and um codified basically like the modern rule set so which of these original knickerbocker baseball rules would you promote extend or trade this should be good i guess you know promote extend trade i guess would be like you want to bring back you kind of are like lukewarm about and then definitely hate i guess so the first one we have revision number two which gives specific dimensions to the bat that batters use, as opposed to the prior Knickerbocker rules, which didn't and allowed hitters to use round bats or flat bats. <laughs> I don't think I care. Yeah, I don't a think flat I bat, I think, is significantly harder, uh, easier to hit with. 
I think it's easier like to make con- it's easier to make contact with, but the ball doesn't go as far. Maybe it'd be could, more like a cricket. Could, yeah. Could you imagine if like each batter did it based on their strength? So like McNeil is using a cricket bat, but McNeil's using like a, a fucking tennis bat. racket. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's hitting like 460 with this dumb bat, and they're slugging 460 because everything's a cheap single. Be entertaining. Mm-hmm. It would be. Um, next, we have revision number five, which gives a specific location for the pitcher to pitch from, as opposed to the Knickerbocker rules, which didn't specify where the pitcher had to throw from. They just said that they had to be a line behind the line that was 45 feet from home plate, which is generally in the vicinity of where the pitcher's mound is, but mm-hmm. didn't uh, specify angles and such. And last, we have. Revision 27, which stated that in all matches, nine players from each club must uh, constitute a full field, and they must have been regular members of the club for which they represent for 30 days prior to the match. No change or substitution shall be made in the game uh, once it has commenced, unless uh, injury or illness. Prior to that, people that weren't even part of the club or people that weren't even part of the team were allowed to join in games um, in order to field full teams, which is why if you go back in baseball reference to like the early 1800s or mid 1800s, I should say, you'll have a whole shit ton of random guys that have played like one game and there's literally no information about them. And there'll be names like hat or straw or beer and things like that. Some dude's cousin. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Just like, hey, hey, I know you're in town. Can you come play this game? We only have eight. I'm like, all right. Do you have a flat bat that I could use? <laughs> I think that one. I might promote that one because it's almost like the idea of um, having a normal ass dude in every Olympic event, so that people can get <laughs> a perspective on. Because you know, there's always some jambroni sitting on a jambroni. Is that a word? Jambroni. For a jambroni. <laughs> I'm a jambroni. Mr. Bongioni. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's always some uh, uh, jabroni sitting on their couch saying, man, I could run that fast. And like, uh, no, you can't. I want to see one of these idiots saying, I could hit that fastball. No, you couldn't. So that, that could be uh, educational, if nothing else. It also reminds me of the emergency goalie in hockey, which yeah, those guys mm-hmm. are like they're like they're like D two athletes probably and played. It's not like literally a random guy, but still the, the 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 talent level between those guys and the actual NHL players is so vast that it would be funny to it would be fun to see that in a baseball setting. I really appreciate like, like a, how an emergency catcher some D two and D three that'd be a disaster. <laughs> I think I've always appreciated how much the uh, NHL players get into it. Like, they always are so happy for the emergency uh, goalie to get in the game, it seems like, after the fact. Like, yeah, obviously, they want their starter. Like, a lot of times, those guys are, like, they, around. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll they'll go to practices and stuff to, like, hang out with the team, and sometimes they even work for the team. So they're, like, friendly with the guy, too, so it's pretty cool. You could do that for baseball. Have some dude who went D2. <laughs> who is also like your assistant social media manager. And you're like, well, grab a glove because three people pulled their <laughs> hamstrings. <laughs> right. Ima- imagine, you know, it's a, it's a 20 inning game or something like that. The bullpen exactly. is 
run out, you've run out of bullpen arms, and you're just like, well, 50 cent through the first pitch, get him in the boat, D. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, the possibilities are, are, you know. This is so topical because I saw a tweet earlier today that said it was making the joke, like, who cares about first pitches? I want celebrities to do the last pitch of the game. Bases loaded, two out, here's Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out of the bullpen to Narco. <laughs> the World Series, Danny DeVito's popping out to finish it off. Danny DeVito out of the Philadelphia bullpen to the <laughs> Always Sunny theme. <laughs> That's the one that I'm extending because it's just all these amazing possibilities. You want to bring more yeah, fans back so. to baseball? I think that's a good way. Put to them do it. on the field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least one additional fan at every game because they're playing in it. The pitching one is also fun. I think like the bat, the bat one I think is whatever. But the pitching one, you could get some really crazy stuff like uh, weird angles and have Rick Ankeel pitching from center field because that's the only place you can throw a strike from or whatever. <laughs> um, could, could have a good time with that. I can't say I care about the bat. Yeah, I think the bat's the clear worst one just because it's the most boring, I think. Yeah. Pitching from here's a line in the middle of the diamonds, just be anywhere else would be very funny. And <laughs> Fuck also, your shift rules. These, could you imagine how hard these dudes would throw? Like, It'd be absurd. Like, you give them a run-up, like, <laughs> cricket, too? Because I would assume that, that if there's no mound, that doesn't, they mean, it means they don't have to be stationary on it. There's you can run up to the line. That, I, I, I think that that was addressed, and it, it might have been a problem, because about, like, 20 years later, they did add a minimum and maximum uh, line that the, that the pitchers had to be within, so... Is it weird that I'm imagining this like a, a bunch of kindergartners arguing about the kickball rules at recess, and that's basically what how they're... they're no, that's just... precisely what this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't roll the ball from there. That's not fair. It's, it's <laughs> funny you bring up kickball because there was, in addition to these Knickerbocker rules, there's also like other regional rules. Uh, one of the regional rules was the Massachusetts rules. And apparently the biggest difference between those rules and the the Knickerbocker rules is that a batter would be counted out. Basically, you could peg the batter with the baseball and he would be considered out, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> Who is, that there's is like, awesome. that's There's like a clip of someone doing that in the playoffs, like spiking a guy down the first baseline because he was pissed off. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happens like accidentally a bunch of times, mm-hmm. but. But also, could you imagine if you move from like Boston to New York, and then you just go to play in your local baseball league, and you just beam some dude in the head with a ball? And he's like, "What the fuck?" Second, and everyone's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "What do you mean? What am I doing?" He's out. <laughs> Get him out of here! It's like, no, you go home. Get out of here. <laughs> that man is being carried off the field on a stretcher. <laughs> it's it's also funny to think about how, and I do it too, how we're like. So into rule changes now, we're like, oh, you can't change the sanctity of like this is this was baseball 200 years ago, whatever. Um, obviously, the math is off there, but like they used to have a line in the middle of a diamond that you could go on and you could hit people with the ball. Like the game changes, like it changes more than you think and more mm-hmm. than we realize. The game started as like funky cricket. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah. evolved because that's what happens. It's just funny to think that. 
but there was some dude back then who was like, they're not going to hit people with the ball anymore between first and second. I'm done. I'm not <laughs> back in anymore. my day. Batters, yeah. good field runners got hit with balls all the time. These that players are soft. Soft. Back in my day, you played second base with your bare hands. <laughs> like a real man. <laughs> they also went to work in the mines for like 12 hours after that. So. <laughs> yeah, <That's> then, <laughs> for sure. <clears throat> Gotta let out some steam after the... Uh... After in the mines for 12 hours, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so we have an email. Um, it's not specifically about minor league baseball, but it was addressed to me. So we will discuss it here. Uh, it's from Larry. So it's kind of long winded. Um, I'll read the entire thing and then, you know, we'll, we'll uh, distill it down at the end. But um. Larry had a basic question about the Mets fandom in the Steve Cohen era. Is there something unexpectedly, excuse me, uh, something unpleasantly embarrassing about being a fan of a team that just goes out and scoops up all the best players? Does it detract from the fan experience? I always looked with contempt upon Yankees for their profligate ways. I preferred rooting for a team that faced real constraints in team building and had to make the most of assets it accumulated. And it was always most gratifying when those assets were homegrown or at least obtained via trade rather than free agency spending. The Yanks seemed like that rich, spoiled kid on the block who simply bought bought access to all the best equipment, venues, and professional lessons instead of meeting the rest of us scrappy make-do kids on the level playing field. And now, aren't the Mets turning to that spoiled rich kid? It's great that there's now real intelligence being shown in the Mets front office moves. I have no longing to return to the days of being a cheap and stupid franchise, but I'm sure I'm going to feel all great about uh, Mets success if it feels like it's been basically purchased by Uncle Steve. And I wonder where uh, there might be plenty more out there like me who might feel not exultant when the Mets stomp through the playoffs and instead, uh, hmm. when the Mets stomped through the playoffs, but instead sheepish and maybe a bit apologetic. Oh, okay, so instead of feeling exultant, you might feel a bit sheepish and apologetic. To me, it's more important how you win than that you win. I'm happier rooting for a scrappy overachievers who provide lots of thrills, even if they don't quite reach the pinnacle, that I am for a championship team of purchased superstars the best money and buy. Am I alone in this attitude? Might it be interesting for you guys to raise the issue? Thanks for listening, Larry. So basically, Larry's question is boiled down to, should we be happy that Steve Cohen can literally spend more money than the next five teams combined and the Mets can just basically buy a playoff team? Uh... I feel like I should not answer first on this one. I'll, I'll go first, I guess. I, <clears throat> um, so I kind of feel like in the short term, uh, I'm more than okay with it because none of the infrastructure to do the things <clears throat> that would be more satisfying, like um, developing players, etc. <clears throat> so um, 
in the short term, I'm, I'm, you know, very okay with it. Uh, in the long term, I'd probably like a little more um, balance between like spending more than you know the GDP of some countries and uh, <laughs> you know growing talent internally and you know looking for efficiencies. Yep, that's very fair. I think also most teams that are really good do have a balance. Like, like the, the we talk about the the Moneyball A's and stuff, but they they didn't win anything, and then they got really bad, and then here they are. And like the the, the Rays are a better example, I think. But the Rays would be a perennial contender if they just spent a little money. You know, like they are yeah. a, a, a perennial contender. But they would be like a perennial best team in baseball if they had like a mediocre salary cap or not that salary cap payroll. So like the really good teams do both. Like the Astros are lauded as this team that has all this homegrown talent, but they also spend money. They don't spend crazy money, but they yeah. have a top 10 payroll. The Braves have a top 10 payroll. The Phillies have a top five, I think. And they also like, have homegrown talent. You do both. Like that's how the good teams get really good. Like the thing that we have, we've all been saying the Dodgers. They'll be, yeah. Do- the Dodgers East. Uh, mentality. Yeah, the, uh, I the think Dodgers that's my idea. Yeah, but they spend you, you find two hundred million yeah, dollars. Spend anyway. money on elite talent because, um, again, probably I've, I've probably said this thirty-five times, but my my biggest pet peeve with the game today is that, um, you know, spending isn't seen as a good thing. Uh, when in reality, like if you spend on you know accumulating like roll eight and roll seven regulars at each position, um. You know, no organization in the world. Yeah. It's I don't care how good you are. The Dodgers yeah. are not pro, pro, uh, getting nine stars from their farm system. It's just not yeah, exactly right. Like you so could get being five. able, you know, when you have an opportunity to get Mookie Betts, you know, yeah, you do being it anyway. able to do that, right? Because he's an eight, eight, and there's only so many eights in in the game, and uh, the more of them you have, <laughs> you know, Windsor is and like some game. <laughs> And like we're we're talking about this, and the Dodgers are now much worse off by letting Turner walk and having Gavin Lux play short or whatever he's going to do. Like he's a worse player, and yep. they should have just signed Turner again, like re-signed him or extended him because they never signed. You know what I mean? Yep. Like sometimes there's negatives to that too, where you get worse, and the Dodgers are worse now than they were last year. It's just it is what it is. And like I don't know, it's always funny because we talk about this in baseball, but could you imagine? Like basketball teams build from within and all that stuff, and then they spend in free agency to help it. And football teams do that too. They you win your you you get really good through the draft, but then you have to go out and spend up to the cap in free agency to help that because there's no way to get a full roster of players through the draft or through your farm system. It's just not possible. And so like the Mets are going to spend money. They're never gonna they won't do this all the time. And they they didn't really do this this time because they didn't sign Correa. <laughs> Like, they won't do this all the time because they'll be able to promote guys from the minors, but they don't have anyone. Yeah, they're the, building the infrastructure to get there. So the, in the, the interim, two, I'm fine with them spending. The the two guys they have who you could look at and be like, those could be really plus regulars are Beatty and Alvarez. And Alvarez is, will be here in the middle of the season. And Beatty was a weird thing with Correa where he would have moved to left field, but now he's has he has a very real chance of being the third baseman on opening day. So... But if the Mets didn't sign all the dudes that they signed, then they'd be bad next yep. year. <laughs> like, that's just the long and short of the situation right now. And it is what it is. 
I mean, basically, my answer to this is that I'm not in favor of uh, unilateral disarmament, right? I agree with the premise that a team that is homegrown is more rewarding. Um, and I think the exercise of at least the way I think the hardcore fans <clears throat> experience the game is better if there are actual constraints, because then it's an actual puzzle to figure out and not just spend more money. <clears throat> um, but that's not this, the way the system is currently set up. They do not have a an ecosystem like basketball or football where basically everyone spends. Um, and if you have the money, I'd rather they they use it. Now, I, I wish the system would improve to the point where this isn't how this wasn't a viable strategy. But right now it is. And it's really the Mets' only option at this point. So, And, like, at least the Mets do actually have some homegrown guys to care about. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Pete is one of their biggest players, and he they drafted him. McNeil, same thing. Um, Nimmo, same thing. I know it's different, but Nito's on the bench. Same thing. He's going to be here next year. Guillaume is a big part of their bench. He's going to be here. He's going to he's going to be here for a while. And Beatty and Alvarez are going to come up. So like, it's not like the Mets are twenty six mercenaries who were just out here doing their own thing. Like they've drafted and developed players, and in twenty fifteen they did it as well. And the, the 2015 window would have been a hell of a lot longer if the Wilpons spent more money in free agency to start to help the homegrown guys, and they didn't. And then yes. look what happened. It fell apart within two years because that's what happens if you don't spend money. You There's just not enough. There's not enough young talent. It's just not possible. All right. Well, we had two not very different perspectives but you know we had a pro and a con there so i hope that uh that was a good i i think that was a good uh i certainly understand his his reservations but i don't think i'm anywhere (coughs) near gonna be like not crying myself with joy at the mets win a world series because yeah let's get the first one yeah we can reassess from there (laughs) yeah oh yeah and i mean the yankees spent a lot of money too but it's not like they didn't always have good farm systems and they didn't always have not good farm systems, but they always had homegrown players and players that they they always circumvented. It was, they always helped. It was fine. Like in the 2000s during their dynasty years, it was they had Jeter and all those guys who they drafted and developed, and they also got whoever they wanted because they were the Yankees. Like you do both, and doing both is the way you win. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So. Uh, I'm going to just quickly, well, maybe not quickly. We can go into it a little bit, but we're just going to finish up our uh, January 5th international free agent uh, discussion that we were having last week. The Mets ended up signing 28 named players, and then they also still have the rest of the year basically to sign other guys if if they pop up. Um, catcher Davison Gutierrez, he was the highest bonus that, that the team gave out. He got $1.9 million. Shortstop Christopher Lorez, he got the second most, $1.4 million. And outfielder Anthony Baptiste got the third most, $1.1 million. Those three guys alone account for uh, basically $4.5 million of the roughly $5.3 million that the Mets had in the pool. So that remaining $800,000 more or less is split between 
all those other players in the in the that were named. Um, with the exception of anybody that signs for ten thousand dollars or less, those those deals don't count. And of course, the team, you know, if they want to, they can trade for more money if anybody else kind of uh, pops up over the course of the year, which does happen periodically. So the other day, I was talking to friends of the podcast, Liam Murphy, and we were talking about Baptist. And I'm going to read the MLB.com blurb that they wrote up for him on the uh, 2023 International Prospect Rankings. Oh, no. It's, it, it's it's funny. He told yeah, me too. like I, I didn't really like until we were talking. <laughs> I didn't like, either. Yeah, yeah. Um, but quote, he's expected to start in center field and stay at the position as he develops, primarily because of his speed, but also because he has the potential to be an above-average defender. He could chase balls down in the outfield, and like prospects his age, he's working on fine-tuning his roots and angles. The hope is that his speed, he's consistently being clocked at 6.1 seconds in the 60-yard time run will also come into play on the bases, and he can develop into a base dealer in the future. When you consider his emerging bat-to-ball skills and overall athleticism, he could slide in near the top of the lineup. End quote. So we just last week that the guy is really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that's he is very, very fast. Now, here's the thing. A 6.1 in the 60-yard dash would make him faster than American nine-time Olympic gold medalist Carl Lewis. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And many, many, many other I Olympians. I didn't realize how fast it was because he did the same to me, too. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's that fast? Because I, I, I have no frame of reference for that. And he was a right. track guy. I know he ran track, so he knows all this stuff. But I was like, mm-hmm. god damn. Press yeah, X no to dash. Like what? Like sixth grade? <laughs> I think sixth grade speed is something like a six point seven in the or six point eight in the sixty yard dash. Like that's six or seven grade speed. This dude's running a six one. Yeah, I yeah, mean, like he, like, like just teach he? him the bunt and it's over. <laughs> teach him to bunt and he'll hit six hundred. Because who's what? He, he's just faster than he's just too fast. There's there is a non-zero chance that he is one of the fastest men in the world. I mean, you never know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah you know basically um everybody is just running with the quotes from the trainers and probably the team and you know not cutting through the bullshit and you know it, it's not the those media people's jobs to like find look everything with a fine-tooth comb and a microscope and be like hey he's not really warning a, a, a 6.1 in the 60 yard dash you know but it yeah. is something that you know, everyone should be aware of when, you know, you're you're reading about these players, you know, especially the IFAs, because there's just really so little information about them. But also even with high school kids, you know, I mean, look at uh, 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 Simeon Woods Richardson a couple of years ago when the Mets drafted him. Everyone was saying like, oh, my God, this guy throws, you know, 98 miles an hour. At no point in time can I find conclusive yeah. evidence that he ever threw never 98 miles an hour. When I saw him in person, he was throwing like 92. The highest reports I was able to find from like high school you know, uh, newspapers, you know, about his high school days was like 94, 95, something like that. So, you know, all this kind of stuff, this kind of reporting, you know, big fish kind of reporting is just something that you always need to be aware of. Um, you know, 
everybody has the potential for Barry Bonds's power and all these kids have the potential to have Ted Williams batting eye and Greg Maddox's control and, and Sandy Koufax's curveball and blah, 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 you know, but, you know, in, in reality, all these kids are good comparative to like other kids in their age range. You know, when, when, when a kid has plus power, you know, he's not going to be going to city field and hitting them over the wall he's shows good power comparative to other 15 year old kids 16 year old kids when he has good control as a pitcher as a high school student it's relative to other high school students not you know a major league pitcher so it's all relative and things you need to just be aware of yeah like baptiste is fast he's it's not like he's gonna go out and be slow and everyone's going to see that they're lying. But a 6-1 in the 60 would be like the fastest yeah. player in the league times 10. <clears throat> so he's hoping that he actually is the fastest player in the league times 10. Trying to find Billy Hamilton's 60-yard dash if I can. <laughs> uh, Billy yeah. Hamilton was clocked at 60. Here's an article from... Cincinnati ABC Channel 9 WCPO. Let's just hope this is reputable. Hamilton was clocked at 60 yards by the Reds before he was drafted. He ran it in 6.2. Mm. Uh, yeah, so if he's Billy Hamilton fast, sure. <laughs> it that, seems how unlikely. We, how many players have we seen like that, you know? That would be like a unicorn trait to be that fast. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, so we are going to be continuing now our top prospect countdown discussion for the 2023 list. Last week, we reviewed uh, prospects 20 to 16, shortstop Jesus Baez, and then I didn't even realize this when we were doing it, but right-hander is Bryce Antistaoka, right-hander Leonel Ovias, right-hander Jose Budo, right-hander Matthew Allen. <laughs> And now starting us off this week is another right-hander. Right-hander Joel Diaz. And uh, Diaz was signed as an international free agent out of the DR in 2021. And his his debut was phenomenal. He had a 0-5-4 ERA in 50.1 innings in the DSL with 21 hits allowed, 9 walks, and 63 strikeouts. And that was really, really, really good. And he had a ton of helium coming into the season. But, you know, numbers in the DSL don't really matter. And he was not able to post a 0-5-4 ERA this past season in the uh, Florida State League, St. Louis. Failure. Didn't you, your ERA <laughs> wasn't literally one run every 18 innings. His ERA was basically like basic math here. Let's see. So it was basically 12 times higher, almost. It was a 5.86 ERA 
in comparable innings, 55.1. He did strike out a bunch of guys, though, which is good. Um, he, he allowed a couple more hits and a couple more walks per inning. So, yeah. But also keep in mind that, you know, despite a 586 ERA and, and despite allowing more than one hit per inning and the walk rate going up and everything, we did rank him 15 in our top prospect list. There's a ton to like about him. He's 18 and was pitching against hitters who were basically on average four years older than him. So, you know, treading water, being a little bit below league average, you know, that's still a feat in and of itself, you know. And the underlying stuff was pretty good. Um, He has a good fastball. He has a good curveball. Flash is plus. Well, Flash is above average. I wouldn't necessarily say plus, yeah. Um, You know, good curveball. It's just, you know, with him, it's he's a young kid, you know, facing guys that are older, that have better um, better eyes, and he just has to learn how to, you know, pitch against guys like that. He can't just overpower people like he did in the DSO. I'm a yeah. little worried. Probably good learning experience. Yeah. I'm a little worried. Like, he's he improved in the second half, which I think some people have pointed to as signs for encouragement. I'm a little worried that that came on the back of his change up because at that level like if you have a at all viable change up it just eats people alive because they've never seen one before um so i'm a little concerned about that well i mean that's good it shows that he has a minimum developing change up sure sure but i i feel I, like i see where you're coming from yeah i feel like if you if your best secondary pitch is uh uh a change at, at this level, it can kind of make you look a little better than you are, perhaps. But um, the the Jose Budo question that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I think so. Rafael Montero would fit into that conversation as well. Ace closer, yeah, he's, Rafael he's Montero. Now, yes, but, yes, but well, it took him a decade and oh, the yeah. the uh, the Astros or Mariners who actually taught him the the slider, whoever. But long way to get there. I would assume the Astros because they did the exact same thing to Blake Taylor. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, he's just—he's one of those. It's one of those things where, as much as I don't want to overreact to the the DSL numbers, I don't want to overreact to these numbers either. It's probably somewhere in the middle, and he's at least interesting enough to keep in the top fifteen when the system is kind of like still in a transitional period even though it's trending up right i mean if if he put up similar numbers that he did in the dsl this season he would be like five right. not 15 you know so. yeah exactly yeah he'd be easily and we'd be talking about him like what is this an 18 year old phenom but he was an 18 year old kid moving to the states and had some growing pains it's fine i'm curious to see he's one of those guys i'm very curious to see how he does this year because he's a uh <clears throat> Another year here, another year with facing these guys, like facing older players with a little better competition and stuff like that. So he's one to circle, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We will watch his career with great interest. Mm-hmm. Next up on the list is third baseman Jacob Raymer. And 
he was selected last year in the draft. He was the Mets' fourth-round pick. Uh, they selected him out of Ukaipa High School in California, and they signed him for $775,000, which is basically almost $250,000 over slot. And the Mets uh, sent him to the complex, the FCL Mets. He appeared in seven games, so it's not any kind of real... Um, it's not a sample size that you could really build anything off of. But he did hit 261, 414, 478 with one home run and six walks to three strikeouts. Um, he's got a bit of pop, but he's kind of more contact-oriented during games. It's it's batting practice power right now. Um, he's just, you know, still young, still learning how to hit in-game put the barrel on the ball so um you know it's hopefully that power should develop in the future as he becomes older and more comfortable playing professionally and everything like that um he does have a good eye and he is kind of selective i don't think that he's going to (laughs) run a 414 uh, obp for his career don't smash don't smash my hopes and dreams steve (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is the type of profile I love to overrate. Yeah, I know. Will Toffee two point I like him a lot too. He's better than that. Come on. Yes, yes, yes he's better he, than Will Toffee's Will Toffee's bat speed was questionable and then he like had a bad shoulder injury and then it was gone. <laughs> so hopefully it's not that. No. He's like it's funny that we have him this high. Uh, he's higher on Baseball Prospectus's list. He was also higher on Baseball America's list, if I recall correctly. And we never even talked about their second round prep pick at all. Well, Oops. you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, they uh, <laughs> they they whiffed real bad on one, but this looks like a, mm-hmm. a nice little mm-hmm. nice little pick here. Yeah, he's yeah, interesting. I mean, when you talk about a, and he's a third baseman, and, you know, he should be able to stay at third base. I mean, he's, what is he? He is six foot two, 205 pounds. So, I mean, even if he put on, you know, 20 pounds of muscle. He'll be fine, yeah. Yeah, that should be fine at, at third base. You know, when you think of a third baseman that potentially could hit for a decent batting average, has a bit of pop. You know, he's kind of athletic. I'm sure that Raymer could steal maybe 10, 15 bases a year. You know, as a Mets fan, it's hard not to think David Wright. <laughs> now, if <laughs> if Raymer had a fraction of David Wright's career, if anybody had a fraction of David Wright's career, that would yeah, be I'm a major, major success, you know? Is he, he is he, he's, uh, I think, pretty far and away the... Third most exciting. Oh wait, let me think. Am I, no, yeah, third most exciting pick from from the last draft. Um, even if he's not actually ranked the highest, like T- Tidwell is is great, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But I think Reimer has the most stuff you can dream on after Parada and uh, uh, Williams, at least for me. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty excited to to watch how this develops. I think he has legitimately good upside mm-hmm. like, to have a good eye at his age and his experience level. Like they, tra- they took him out of high school and he got thrown into the ma- into the majors, into the into professional baseball. And sure, it was literally seven games, so it doesn't really matter. But it's still nice to see that 
and that was something that I remember when they drafted him. I was like, oh, the Mets never draft guys like this. The the guys who they draft in this area of the draft are always some like boring overproducer in college who's not very good, and then they aren't good, and we're all like, wow, where did that go wrong? And this is like the opposite of that. This is a pick that a, a smarter team would have made. And then he has a chance to be like a regular player. And because there's more traits, there's a lot more things with him to dream on, like Lucas said. And I agree with that. I, I, I really like him, though. I'm a big Reimer fan. Yeah, he is more. I mean, I guess he's the most exciting position player prospect since since Beatty. Crap and, guy? I mean, if yeah. we're not counting Williams, sure. Um, trying to figure In out recent memory. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of not fair. I mean, Beatty was like a certified first round guy. Williams is a certified first round guy. You know, trying to think of also the Mets just really have not drafted like prep kids in you know the middle couple of rounds like I mean, I gotta, I gotta that, include, that's what i'm geez. saying like, yeah those guys that they drafted were so boring that it was so easy to just not care is that the biggest takeaway it. from this is that they had an interesting middle round pick that wasn't a college reliever or something which they've had to, to their credit the last couple of years they have drafted a couple interesting older college arms which we've talked about but like they've not dipped into this sort of mid-tier prep bat market and uh their first foray seems to have have yielded something now we have a 30 plate appearance uh sample size so who the hell knows but mm-hmm. I've, i'm gonna say off the top of my head now the most interesting middle round prep guy that they've signed i don't even remember his name anymore was, oh, that says a lot, doesn't it? It was, it was twenty. A good start. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Jack Schmidt was his name. The kid that got drafted and he got basically into a single game and he got hit in the eye and then retired. I have no memory of this. I got to. <laughs> I don't remember that either. Really, Ken? Can you help me out? Do you have recollection? No, not at all. Oh, come on. <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack was his name. Now I'm looking it up. I want to say 2017. You know, real, real uncommon name, Jack. That'll, that'll really Jack, Jack Schmidt, Jack, it was an SCH. All right, 2017, Jack Snyder. That Jack sounds Snyder. slightly more familiar. He was drafted in the 11th round. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's a little bit, um, there's a little distance there between the fourth round that Raymer was and the 11th round but yes he was drafted in the 11th round of the 2017 draft he played in three games for the gcl mets he got hit in the face in his final what would be i guess his final plate appearance and retired from baseball i can't even say i blame him honestly like yeah no I'd <laughs> be like, out. i don't I'd be need this <laughs> yeah so the mets uh don't don't draft too many prep position players yeah i think we said this at the draft too if i remember mm-hmm. correctly that once they made that pick i was definitely saying to myself this is something that they normally don't uh profile they normally don't care about and i think it's definitely evidence that we're moving in a new draft direction for the mets even though 
a lot of the guys are still there. I think it's very clear that we're that they're doing other things because the mm-hmm. Mets just don't draft these guys. And new regime, new owner. Here we are. They drafted one of them. And not to say that he's going to be work out and be a star, but if you take this profile enough, they they will work out. The 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 players who you take here will end up being some of them will pop, and then that's how you end up with like solid regulars from your from your system and you don't have to spend 10 million dollars on every position because you need to otherwise you're going to be bad Look, to go back I, to the question from before i'm not comping his skills to this player at all but like the mets signed a useful shorter third baseman in eduardo escobar who is a nice mm-hmm. little player that's a reasonable mm-hmm. deal you would also be nice if you weren't playing paying 10 million dollars a year for that profile and if reimer could do that yeah. which i think is a like that that'd be an excellent outcome for this pick it's not as it's not like an insane outcome i don't think um yeah like, we're not saying he's gonna go be evan longoria or some right like really right. good <laughs> but not amazing you know what i mean like mm-hmm. if he said water westboro i'm signing up for that 1000 times in 2027 or whatever. I don't know what year it would actually whatever. be. Exactly. If the planet still exists. When 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 Beatty is like, you know what, I'm just a DH, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when that's when Reimer comes up and says hello. Don't worry about it. All right. Next on our list is another player who, along with Jack Schneider, joined the team in 2017, if you could believe it. It seems like a million years ago, Stanley Consuegra. And he was a international free agent who was signed to the Dominican Republic on the first day of eligibility back then, which is July 2nd. Uh, he signed for $500,000, which is a pretty decent sum. You know, that's definitely like, you know, if you figure like the, the top tier international free agents get millions of dollars, the second tier, 500000 is a pretty, pretty nice sum. Um. He started off his professional career with the Mets in 2018. Um, they sent him stateside basically almost immediately. And he didn't dominate, but he, he held his own in the GCL as a 17-year-old, which is you know pretty good. You like to see it. Um, he entered the 2019 season with a knee injury, and he had surgery on his ACL, so he missed the entire year. And then... Of course, 2020, the season got canceled because of COVID, so he missed another entire year. And in 2021 now, in June, um, when the FCL season started, he was rostered on the team, but then he broke his hand after just a couple games, and he missed um, like two months, basically. So all in all, he had basically, coming into this season, like 20 games or so, in the complex or below um you know easy to write a guy off like a guy off with that little experience that much missed time um the mets assigned him to st lucy this year and he did not look like somebody that missed that much time he hit 251 324 431 in 66 games of st lucy with eight homers eight stolen bases and 26 walks to 77 strikeouts and then he finished the season with Brooklyn. He was promoted at the beginning of July. And in Brooklyn, this, the, the performance took a little bit of a dip. Uh, he hit 239, 309, 381 with five homers, four stolen bases, 
and 18 walks to 62 strikeouts. So in 2022 in total, he hit 245 through 17, 408 in 122 games with 13 homers, 12 stolen bases, and 22, excuse me, and 44 walks to 139 strikeouts. That's a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. But <laughs> ton of power. Um, we 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 only have you know information about certain players in certain leagues and obviously you know certain situations. But of all of the players that played in St. Lucie, Consuegra had the most power out of everybody. This guy averaged. Um, what did he average? Okay, I didn't write down what he averaged, <laughs> but <laughs> basically a third of all the balls he hit in play had exit velocities of 100 miles per hour or higher. That's the that's that's, that's how hard. <laughs> yeah, um, there was 171 recorded batted ball events and 51 or 100 or higher. I mean 20- that's per- that's particularly impressive because what teams supposedly like to look at is like 90th percentile exit velocities to say like not what's your peak what's your average but how hard do you like typically hit it when you hit it really well yeah. and he's above 100 if if he has a third above 100 like that's mm-hmm. really good that's a lot. yeah that's really good 26 <clears throat> were above 105 and eight were above 110 which is that's that's some uh, above average power now, of course, the swing, you know, 139 strikeouts, he's literally swinging for the fences. So, you know, it's it, it comes with a cost. But at the same time, you know, he does he, he has been drawing a decent amount of walks and he did, you know, miss literally like two and a half years of baseball. And he is a young player from the DR. So, you know, all, all I heard was Adam Dunn. Those are mm-hmm. all the words that she said to me. <laughs> Adam Dunn, who can play a passable outfield. <laughs> play outfield, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, why not? I, I mean, be... if, that's, if that's what happens. I'm Adam Dunn it. was really good. Yeah, I, I, I think I don't... Adam Dunn would be like... Uh, one of my personal around. cheese balls. Yeah. Adam Dunn would be like... Are arguably what makes baseball interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is yes. weird shit like that can lead to, you know... Hit excellent career. Hit the farthest home run I've seen at City Field, like over the fucking Shea Bridge one time. Like that dude could hit the baseball just like just I got I got to go. Boy through and through. I got to go find <laughs> that clip if I can. But he he just ru- routinely would park balls somewhere. Be like, okay, man, that's not normal. I don't think Consuegra is going to draw the amount of walks that Dunn did because no, I probably mean, not. sure, sure. You know, Dunn is a three true outcome player. Maybe Consuegra could be a two outcome player, mm-hmm. but that's still, you know, that's still a, a player that has a role on a major league team. You know, maybe not as a regular, but when I mean, if he could be a fourth outfielder who hits for power and has a little bit of an eye off the bench and can run and like play a passable outfield, so you don't have to pay uh, Tommy Pham six million dollars to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I don't think like that Stanley Consuegra is going to fight anybody. So <laughs> I have a I have a. Spike. Does he know Muay Thai? <laughs> is he into fantasy football? I have a spicy Stanley Consuegra take. Um, and I'm looking at my the rankings I sent uh, Steve, and I'm wondering why I didn't stick with this. 
I think Stanley Consegra is closer to Alex Ramirez than we're giving him credit for. Oh, absolutely. I think I, people, I, yeah, I think people agree with that, it. and people don't want to hear that, but I don't disagree either. I think Alex Ramirez is overrated, and I think Stanley Consegra has more intriguing power, a less wonky swing. If I... Wow. I I wouldn't go so far as to like say I'd pref Consuegra over Ramirez because I think that would just be wrong and kind of insane. Yeah, I, th- I think that's going too far in the other direction. But there, the gap between them – this is all to say I quite like Consuegra and think there's even potential for an actual starter in here down the line. I will be completely honest. No, yeah, I like him too. I was very surprised that not everyone had him as high as I had him, and I had him in the top 10. I'm surprised that he did not end up in the top 10 in our uh, collective rankings. I'm, I don't understand why I dropped him down so far here. Like, eh, yeah, yeah, just health risk. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. And the strikeouts. I, it's the strikeouts, and for me, the missed time, you still have to factor it in. It's not. I know it sucks for him, but it's stuff that actually happens to him. He missed a lot of time, and mm-hmm. it was nice to see him get back on the board. And I think if he has another strong season, he's easily top ten. And then we're talking about him maybe even playing in the majors kind of soonish because he would probably start in Double A, I would guess, and go from there. But yeah, yeah, I think that is. I, don't, I had him twelve, so. I could have put. I think I should have put him eleven. That's where I think I would have. I don't know why I had him all the way down at seventeen. Like, what am I doing? I had him at twelve. You know, you were you were busy with your doctor stuff. It's it's understandable. (laughs) It happens. I I also think I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes I'll find myself really bullish on someone, and then be like, wait, I'm going too far, and then go too far in the other direction. Yep, I think that might have been what happened. to, To kind of counterbalance it, to be like, no, I'm being crazy. This is too much, and then I drop them too far in the other direction and then i feel silly about it i did have reimer in my top 10 though all right now next up is another right-handed pitcher that's sure do have a lot of those mike vassal they love him yep uh mike vassal was drafted in 2021 he was their eighth round pick and they selected him <clears throat> out of the University of Virginia. Um, Vassal is, uh, he's from New England. He's a Massachusetts guy. And he was kind of a, a pretty big high school prospect. Um, definitely, you know, a, a guy of interest and a guy to follow by all of the national scouting and um, evaluating group uh, organizations coming into the 2018 draft, but he had a arm injury in his senior season. And basically he saw the writing on the wall. So he withdrew his name from consideration for the draft that year and committed and honored his commitment to the university of Virginia. And did he cost himself money? I I don't know. Um, You know, his tenure at the university of Virginia was not disastrous, but it wasn't, you know, like, particularly great either so when he did finally get drafted with the Mets in the eighth round he got um slot value which was $181,000 um 
could he have made more than that if he said, screw it, I'm going to get drafted as a high schooler despite an arm issue? Possibly, maybe. Could have made more than that if he went to a different college in all likelihood, because Virginia has a recent track record of just butchering arms. Yeah, Yeah, that is a... uh, that is That's a bold film. choice. My arm hurts. Let me go to Virginia. <laughs> They're going to develop me wrong and also probably get me hurt. Great. It's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that the Mets did like almost immediately was change uh, some of his mechanics and change some of his uh, pitch usage. And, you know, when you're literally doing that immediately after getting drafted, uh, eh, maybe not the best program. But, yeah, he was drafted by the Mets uh, 28. Uh, 21 appeared in a couple of games you know but really his career started in earnest this past season um he was assigned to the st lucy mets he posted a 181 era in 35 innings over eight games uh allowed 23 hits walked 11 and third struck out 37 which is pretty good he was promoted to brooklyn at the end of may along with like basically everybody else in the st lucy rotation and coming to brooklyn Normally, pitchers do better because it's just a better environment for a pitcher. And that was not the case with Mike Vassell. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing very good in St. Lucie. Then he came to Brooklyn, and he did very, very bad. He posted a 540 ERA in 28.1 innings over six games. He allowed 23 hits. He walked 12, and he struck out 39. And then he went on the disabled list with uh, irritated bone spurs in his elbow. He came back at the end of the year. He made a couple of uh, appearances, and he, he did look a little bit better. And then the Mets sent him to the Arizona Fall League to log a couple more innings, and he was actually pretty good in the uh, AFL. He had a 293 ERA in 15.1 innings with 10 hits allowed, 9 walks, and 18 strikeouts. He was basically the only guy that the Mets sent to the AFL this year that was uh, halfway decent. But um, basically, Vazel's Achilles heel right now is just too many walks. Um, at least he's not at the Levi David level of walks. Well, yes. I mean, oh, no God. God. Yeah. That's like its own personal tier. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the bad. God tier. Of... <laughs> you're bad, and then you're Levi David, you know. Um, I'm going to yeah. start calling players the, the prospects the Levi David of walking or whatever, like an offensive <laughs> player. Like Jacob Raymer's the Levi David of taking pitches, you know, mm. just the best, <laughs> the best at doing something. Mm-hmm. He's the best at walking people. That's true. He I, in the system, he definitely is. And of balks and of wild pitches as well. <laughs> so it's a, he's a triple threat. A, a three <laughs> the three outcome the, pitcher. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the true three outcomes. Pitching triple crown of terribleness. Levi David out here catching strays. We weren't even I know, talking. Sorry. Sorry, Levi. <laughs> I actually like your stuff. Please find the strike zone. I hope I hope Levi David has a brother and he finds you on Twitter and he starts. No, no, you. not again. <laughs> Anthony K oh, just no. got DFA'd by the Cubs. So um, yeah. Wait, did so, he really? Yes. For who? Uh, 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 what's his name? Mancini, right? I think. Oh, okay. The Mets are gonna claim him real fast. I don't have a problem with them That'd claiming it, but uh, hey, I, I actually don't either. But it'd be fun. Yeah. but yeah, uh, back to Mike Vassell. So yeah, his <laughs> command is not great. <laughs> no bueno. <laughs> no, it's uh, this no, stuff is pretty solid. The stuff is pretty solid. His fastball sits in the mid 90s. It averages 94. 
um, above average spin, so gets uh, decent amount of strikeouts from that. Um, and he has a you know wide variety of secondary pitches, and they're all considered average or better, slider, curveball, changeup. And um, you know, with him, it's just basically he has to harness his stuff and he has to throw everything in the strike zone. When the Mets drafted yep. him, they basically said, we know that your coaches at Virginia had you throwing your two-seam fastball. Don't do that. We want you to throw your four-seam fastball. So he's, you know, he has responded, which is, you know, good. He's definitely has been better as a professional than he was in college. But, you know, the injury, the injury makes everything hard to kind of gauge because, if he had come up from from St. Lucie doing really good and continued doing really good in Brooklyn, you know, say there was no injury and then did pitch in the AFL really well, you know, we we might have a, a very, maybe not a radically different view of him, but maybe we would think more highly of him. Yeah. And also, like, to his credit, if he is restarting all this stuff with from what the Mets are changing from Virginia, then there's a lot of work he's doing that is a lot different. There's a rebuilding the pitcher almost. And I, yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm a little harsh on Vassal because I like I like him the least out of Vassal, Ziegler, and Hamill. I think pretty significantly so. But also, to give him credit, there's a lot that they needed to fix because of Virginia and he's been hurt and stuff like that. So not to say that he's the, the, the jury's out on him. There's no just like, sorry, it's the same thing with Levi David. The jury's not out on you, my friends. But... Oh, now you're friends. No, you know what I mean. Like at the end of the day, these guys are developmental, and developmental is not, and development is not linear. And crazier things have happened. And that's not to say that it's crazy if Vassal ends up good. It's just there's a lot of work that he needs to do, and I think I discounted how much work he actually needs to do. And yeah, it's it's not like Vassal has like 20 grade control, and he's yeah, exactly. It's it's just, you know, slightly below average, you know, with more reps, with coaching, you know, all it takes is a simple thing. Maybe, you know, move your leg up another inch when you push off the mound, you know, lean to the left instead of the right, whatever. You know, all it takes sometimes is just something stupid like that. And then the light bulb goes off. So, yeah. It's definitely <clears throat> possible with Mike Vassell. And ending the discussion this week is another right-handed pitcher, Calvin Ziegler. And he's another guy the Mets selected in the 2021 draft. He was selected in the second round. Um, He's a Canadian kid, and he basically moved to the U.S. during the pandemic to be able to keep pitching. Um, He went to the TNXL Academy in Florida, and that's where he got drafted out of. And the Mets signed him for $910,000, which is, believe it or not, considerably below the uh, MLB uh, signed slot value. So he is basically our 11th top prospect, and he is a under <laughs> he was an under slot savings pick, which kind of kind of funny when you think about it. Um, he didn't pitch at all that season, so they let him, you know, just get prepared to pitch this season and he was impressive at times um he started off the season like insane um his first couple of games he had a 310 era in 29 innings which is 
decent with 11 hits allowed, which is really good. Eight, uh, 18 walks, which is eh, not great. And 48 strikeouts, which is insanely good. But basically, after like the first two months of the season, he got uh, bicep tendonitis. And his season basically just kind of derailed after that point. He got brought back um, on, on the active list, St. Lucie. Made a couple more starts, got shut down again, was used in limited spurts from that point on. So basically, um, all in all, his first season as a professional, he had a 444 ERA in 46.2 innings, 26 hits allowed, um, and 70 strikeouts, which is pretty good. But when you consider how unbalanced everything was, from first half to second half, not even half, you know, first couple of two, two months, two, three months to the rest of the year. Not great. Um, kind of makes it hard to gauge how he was, I guess, um, because you have the injury and just the results and the stuff and everything was just so radically different, you know, pre-injury and then after injury. But uh, when he was healthy, the stuff looked amazing. You know, fastball sits in the low to mid-90s. Um, was very effective. You know, he has a, a flat vertical approach angle, which is the kind of in vogue thing right now. Um, he has a very good curveball. He has a very solid changeup. And, you know, just the control was not great. Um, when he He's the kind of guy, like, when he misses, he really misses. Really misses, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but again, he is a prep pitcher. So those guys are some of the most inexperienced of all the professionals and his, I don't want to say unique background because, you know, it's not like Canada is like, you know, Nepal or anything like that, you know, but he has less experience than the average prep pitcher. So, you know, there's plenty of promise. We just need to, needs to get more more reps and just kind of become more consistent in what he does. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, Ramirez uh, has gotten a little bit more helium than Ziegler. Um, especially in like the global lists, like the BA or BP lists. And and they know more than I do. So I don't want to argue with them too much. I think they're slightly too high on him, but uh, Ziegler might be the most overrated prospect among like Mets prospect Twitter. I don't know if that's fair to say or not. Um, he's he's an okay righty prep pitcher who got hurt, which is significant. It's fine. There's a long way to go. Yeah, I mean he is a kind of he is a player that if the system was a little stronger, you know, this is instead of being on the cusp of the top ten. This is the kind of guy that maybe it would be like 15 to 20. Yeah, I agree with that. That's the weakness of the system popping up. And I like Ziegler a little more than Lucas, but I genuinely agree anyway. Like, none of these guys should really be in this area. And if you really want to have a, what you can, what I'd consider a good system, they'd be in the middle of the teens. But also, that's not that far off. That's only a few prospects off. Right. It's not like Ziegler's three, and we're like, oh yeah, yeah. Then things <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, and then we're talking about how there's no one around. Then we'd be the, the Royals. 
Yeah, exactly. That's just mm, not the case. Yeah. <clears throat> For anyone who doesn't get that, the Royals have a really bad system right now. Yeah, they're, uh, they're going through it in case. Oh, well, good. They deserve it to the Royals. Screw them. <laughs> yeah, I hate the Royals. <laughs> Fuck the Royals, man. Honest, and, and, you know, Ziegler, he is what it is. He's fine. You know, he, he's a prospect that you want, uh, you know, you want 50 prospects like this in the system because there is pretty decent upside and, you know, it is what it is. But if you if you just look at all the guys that got drafted, like, around him, though, like, you could really see, like, damn, it really hurts. And this is, a, you know, this is the 2021 draft. So this is the draft where they selected Kumar Rocker at the first round. They basically knew what they needed to do. They knew what his price was going to be. They, I guess, did not know what his medals were going to be. But Clearly not. Yeah, clearly not. But, I mean, there's so much talent that was selected, you know, after Ziegler. And it's just like, damn. If the Mets had not been enticed by Rocker falling and and had some extra money to spend, you know, in, in the second round, there's a shit ton of talent that they could have picked up. Yeah, that was a weird draft I, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just so, so, like, they put all their eggs in the rocker basket and they didn't draft someone to protect it. We've gone over this a million times, but. I mean, it would be nice to have James Wood in the system. Ugh. Who got selected, you know, like 10 picks after. Painful. Yeah. I, I can't even complain, though, because I didn't like James Wood. Because he couldn't make contact in high school, and I feel like ninety times, ninety nine times out of the out of a hundred, if you have contact issues against high school pitching, you don't usually figure that out. Mm. Uh, turns out he figured it out. Now he's like the third best prospect in baseball. So, well, he is definitely not an above average player. So don't worry. Yeah, the, <laughs> we don't need to delve into that hole. Uh, I like. Show. I like that we all know exactly <laughs> what's going on without even having to say. But yeah, Calvin Ziegler, solid player, solid prospect to have, and just gonna want to see, you know, more, more from him next year, more good stuff next year. All right. So if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, uh, you could send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvahus343. Ken is at KenLevin91. And Thomas is at SedMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.